with our minds focused upon the one we seek this morning. Open your Bible to Psalm 143. Psalm 143, again, how in the world can even, you know, 8, 10, 12 people come together and pray with one heart? We're all unique individuals. We all have our unique circumstances. We all have our unique ways that we pray. How in the world can we come together this morning and accomplish what we see in the book of Acts? The church coming together and praying with one accord. Well, it's the Word of God. We come to the Word of God each Lord's Day and, and, and let God's own Word frame our prayers. We let God put the words into our lips that we will pray. And that's what the book of Psalms is. It's the song book, the, the prayer book of, of Israel in days gone by. Of, of These are the songs they sang to God. These are the words they prayed to God. And so, likewise, we continue to use it to that end as well. Psalm 143 this morning is the last of what the church has historically called the penitential psalms. Now, there are seven of these penitential psalms in all. Chapter 6, 25, 32, 38, 51, Psalm 130, and now Psalm 143. There are seven of these in the book of Psalms. And they're called penitential psalms because you read them and you find within them a prominent theme of self-confessed guilt. The psalmist is confessing his guilt before God. The psalmist realizes he's guilty before the God that he's praying. He realizes that even as he seeks the face of God, he's deserving of judgment. And so he calls out for mercy with a repentant spirit. And as we read this morning, you'll, you'll pick up on the penitential part in verses 1 and 2. That prayer of confession and the plea for mercy. Let's read together this, the text. Psalm 143, we'll read all 12 verses. David writes, Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. In your faithfulness answer me. In your righteousness Enter not into judgment with your servant, for no one living is righteous before you. For the enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He has made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. I remember the days of old. I meditate on all that you've done. I ponder the work of your hands. And I stretch out my hands to you. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land, Selah. Answer me quickly, O Lord. My spirit fails. Hide not your face from me, lest I be like those who go down to the pit. Let me hear in the morning of your steadfast love, for in you I trust. Make me know the way I should go, for to you I lift up my soul. Deliver me from my enemies, O Lord. I have fled to you for refuge. Teach me to do your will, for you are my God. Let your good spirit lead me on level ground. And for your name's sake, O Lord, preserve my life. In your righteousness, bring my soul out of trouble. And in your steadfast love, you will cut off my enemies. And you will destroy all the adversaries of my soul. For I am your servant. So as we use this psalm for prayer, there's certainly a lot that we could focus upon this morning, particularly as I was just spending some time with this psalm this week. Verse 6, I stretch out my hands to you, my soul thirsts for you like a parched land. 
Or verse 10, teach me to do your will, for you are my God. There's, there's many, many different areas for us to examine and consider and, and turn this prayer into our, our own prayer to the Lord. And, and perhaps that's, those are some of the things you want to use. But I want to turn our attention to verses 1 and 2, to the, the plea, the, the confession of guilt and the plea for mercy. Notice the context of this. David is once again in a devastating predicament. We see that in verses 3 and 4. He specifies exactly, here's what's going on. Look at it. The enemy has pursued my soul. He has crushed my life to the ground. He's made me sit in darkness like those long dead. Therefore, my spirit faints within me. My heart within me is appalled. So again, David finds himself in a devastating predicament and rightfully turns to the Lord. He's seeking the Lord for help. And just as with David, when we find ourselves in our own dire predicament, whether that be on a personal level or corporate level as a church, when we find ourselves in a predicament, we must turn to the Lord. That's clear. And I pray that's the reflex of your heart. But what's interesting here is that in the midst of this predicament, this dire predicament, which he he so eloquently lays out, here's the trouble that I'm in, that predicament drives him to realize as he turns to God for help that if the God that I'm turning to for help, who is a holy God, if that God were to deal with me how I deserve, this predicament that I'm in would be nothing in comparison to that predicament. Do you see the contrast? Absolutely. It's not taking away from the physical predicament that he's in, the emotional predicament, the mental predicament, but as he turns his heart to seek God and to think rightly about God, he realizes, my goodness, if this God were to deal with me as I deserve, right here, right now, this that I'm praying for is nothing in comparison. That would be a bigger predicament than the one that I'm in. And so notice before he lifts up this predicament to God that he's in, in verses three and four, before that, he cries out to the Lord about the bigger predicament about the bigger issue, his sin issue before a holy God. And that if God were not merciful to him, if God were not a covenantly faithful God to him, he wouldn't even have to worry about this predicament on earth. He would be in an eternal predicament. And so David, as he turns to the Lord, is absolutely convinced of two things. Number one, God is merciful, God is righteous, and God is just. We see that there in in, in the opening. Hear my prayer, O Lord. Give ear to my pleas for mercy. Why is he able to do that? Because he knows God is merciful. In your faithfulness, answer me. He knows God to be faithful. In your righteousness, he knows God to be righteous. And he's counting on that. As he comes to the Lord to bring his predicament to the Lord, he's counting this I know about you, God. You are merciful, you are righteous, and you are faithful. This he also knows. If God is merciful, God is righteous, God is faithful, David knows this also. David is not merciful. David is not righteous. David is not faithful. If you could, go ask Uriah, right? We remember what David did to Uriah with Bathsheba. Yes, David was a man after God's own heart, but David was a sinner, David was not faithful, not righteous, not merciful. 
That doesn't mean that he's a fraud. It doesn't mean he's a hypocrite. If we understand Paul in Romans chapter 6, 7, and 8 correctly, it just means David's a true believer. He's a true believer who is capable of doing terrible things because he's not yet been glorified. He's not yet reached that eternal state. He's still being sanctified. He's still growing. And so before he brings this earthly predicament, his physical need, he confesses his guilt and sin. Verse 3, for no one living is righteous before you. Enter not into judgment with your servant. He's just crying out to God. He's got a predicament on earth he's wanting to pray over. But he begins with this, Lord, you're merciful. Lord, you're faithful. Lord, you're righteous. And oh, by the way, as I approach your throne, I'm not. Please don't deal with me as I deserve. Because we know that in divine justice, God uses even our earthly circumstances to, as a, to discipline us, to chastise us for sin. Maybe what David is going through right now is because of sin in his life. It, it may not be. But when we go through physical predicaments and afflictions, it's always a right instinct to ask, Lord, is there sin in my life that maybe you are using this to chastise me, to discipline me? It doesn't 100% every time mean that there is, but we would be hard-pressed not to be able to find some sin that, Lord, maybe you're exposing this in me. And I thought I've been getting away with it a long time. Lord, don't deal with me as I deserve. Don't give me what I deserve. He pleads for mercy. Give me what I need. Don't deal with me on the basis of what I'm like. Deal with me on the basis of what you're like. You're faithful. You're merciful. You're righteous. His hope is not in how good David is. God, you see I'm in this predicament. This is good old David praying out to you here. You see what's going on here. These bad guys are trying to get your... Your, your stud David, Lord, get them for me. No, this is David saying, God, maybe I'm connecting some dots here. Maybe this is because of some sin in my heart. And before I ask for relief in this, Lord, I need to deal with the greater predicament of my own heart, of my own sin against you. God, you made a promise to me in 2 Samuel 7 that you would never leave me, you would never forsake me, that you would never withdraw yourself from me the way you did Saul. So Lord, now I'm asking you, remember that promise you made to me. I'm asking you to be merciful to me, not because I deserve it, I don't, but because you promised and you made a covenant to me. And there's a situation going on around me and I'm asking your help because you are merciful, you are good. And coming to Life Church, the same is true for us this morning as we turn our hearts to the Lord in prayer. We gather together individually. We have our own predicaments. It may be this morning you have your own predicament, a physical need, a health need, a family need, a financial need, a mental need, an emotional need. We all have our own predicaments. And all of those things are devastating to our souls. We could go around the room and every one of us could tell a sob story about something you're going through right now. We all could. But in turning to God and bringing those predicaments to him, we need to be devastated by the God that we're bringing our predicaments to and understand 
He is holy. He is righteous. He is just. And if he were to deal with me as I deserve, then he would allow this predicament to destroy me. And he would have every right to. But Lord, we come to you, we seek your face, not on how good we are or what we deserve, but upon your promises, upon your goodness, upon your righteousness, upon your faithfulness, ultimately in Jesus Christ. In Christ, you have provided everything we need for all of our earthly predicaments. That's what Paul said in Romans, or excuse me, Philippians. That's what Paul said. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It doesn't really mean he can do all things. It means whether I'm rich or poor, whether I'm healthy or sick, as long as I have Christ who has reconciled me to God, that's really all that matters. And this morning as we seek the Lord, we're able to turn to him and come boldly. We're able to come bringing our petitions, bringing our earthly needs to the Lord in Jesus Christ, through Jesus Christ. It's a devastating thing to come into the presence of Almighty God. But Christ has made it possible that we might know, like David, God's goodness, God's faithfulness, God's mercy, and petition that in Jesus. And covenant life, is that how we pray? For many of us, our first, us, I include myself, my first instinct, I'm in a predicament, Lord, get me out of it. Lord, deliver me from it. Maybe the first instinct is God Almighty, holy, righteous, faithful. If you were to deal with me as I deserve, I have no right to ask for deliverance from this. I come to you in the name of Jesus. Even asking, even as I ask for deliverance, even as I ask for relief, if you choose not to do so, in Christ I have all that I need. And so this morning, maybe it's a celebration of Christ. Maybe it is like in verse 6. My soul thirsts for you like a parched land. Lord, as a church, Lord, this is not how we naturally pray. Give us a hunger and a delight in you. Help us to see you as you are so that we might approach you rightly. In Jesus' name.